If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn first into the book of Proverbs. We're going to be all over the book of Proverbs. This month, we've been engaged in a month-long conversation on the weekends and while I was gone on Wednesday nights around the concept of growing together. We believe in this so much, we dedicated this entire month to try to encourage you and strengthen you that growing together is truly God's plan for our life as believers. Amen? That's truly what He wants us to do. He doesn't want us to be alone. He doesn't want us to experience life alone. He wants us to experience life together. So if you're taking notes, if you have the app, you can open the app. The notes are in there in the app. I've entitled this message, One Friend Away. I'm not so much going to talk about life groups. I think they're amazing and you need to be a part of one. But I'm going to talk about the people that are in life groups. You could be one friend away from dramatically and drastically changing the trajectory of your life. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And I used to say this phrase to teenagers for the past 14 years in my ministry here at Westover. And I'm going to say it to you because it still applies. I don't care if you're 15 or you're 65 in this place tonight. It still applies to you. And that is this. If you're taking notes right off the bat, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Not because I am Harry Potter and I can look into a little magic ball and I can figure this out. Not because I got some kind of magical powers, but because our friends are so influential in our life. Would you agree? If you don't agree, then tonight's message is for you, okay? Friendships and the people we surround ourselves are so impactful. Andy Stanley actually says, a pastor in uh, Atlanta actually says this, that they help determine the quality and the direction of your life. Now, if a person has that much power over my life or in my life to determine the quality and the direction, then I better turn my ears in because that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Your friendships. And some of us in this place, uh, we really could look at, a, really need to evaluate some of the people we've surrounded ourselves with. And tonight, that's what we're going to focus on. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The wisest man of all time, King Solomon, right? The wisest guy, the guy who he was able to ask for anything, and he doesn't ask for riches, he doesn't ask for good looks, he asks for wisdom, all right? And the wisest man said it this way in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise, and what? What does it say? Oh, come on, I've been gone too long, I forgot what to do. All right, so anytime you see that there's a different color on the screen, that's your chance to respond back to me and actually say that. Let's try that again. Walk with the wise and... Welcome back, guys. And become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. The wisest guy said, listen, friendship matters. Like Pastor Matt talked about last week. Friendship is a big Deal. Why? Because if you surround yourself with fools, you're going to suffer harm. But if you surround yourself with wise people, wisdom knocks on your door. And we've talked about this subject before on this platform and in this setting with young adults in this room. That social media has drastically shifted and changed our notion of friendship, right? We have thousands of friends on Facebook, but we can't name one really close friend of ours, right? Like that's just, that's just the cultural reality. Facebook is not the devil, all right? Just know that. It's not the devil. Some of you think it is because you see her posts and you're like, devil, devil, right? It's not the devil, all right? It may be demonic, but it's not the devil, okay? Uh, but, but Facebook has created these interesting uh, concepts. The phone, the cell phone has created interesting concepts of friendships, right? We no longer have to talk to one another. We've talked about that before. There's actually a phobia of answering the phone that's been created that 
millennials suffer with, right? When the phone rings, we'd rather swipe it and let it go to voicemail and then text them right away and go, hey, what are you looking at? What do you want? Right? Like, because we feel like we're not in control of the conversation because it's not 140 characters and they have to, you know. So we, we, we're, we've, we've learned that social media, cell phones, uh, some people are so addicted to these things that they'll, you know, they wait, they check it every, every day. Some of you are guilty of this. Uh, some of us, some, my wife, my, me, me, I mean, I said, did I say my wife? Me, I'm guilty of this, right? Uh, that was a Freudian slip there. Uh, uh, we, we are, we, some of us, we will even wake up in the middle of night because we'll hear that little ding, right? You can't miss the ding. If it's just a ding, it will actually wake you up. It could be a hurricane outside and you will sleep through the hurricane. But you hear the ding, I mean, and you will pop up, look at, your, uh, at the phone. This is a, I, got a, I, got a, I got a message. She liked it. Or she, you know, someone commented on my, like, it's changed the dynamics of friendships drastically. And with all of the advances in what they call social media, it's been proven that we are a less social culture. That there is more loneliness, there is more suicide, more depression, all of these things that were supposed to draw us together hasn't really been that effective. And if we just pause here for a moment and just be honest with one another, some of us in this room would say, you know what, I've got a lot of friends on Facebook, but I really feel alone. i got all these people following me on Twitter, but I take walks by myself in real life, okay? Like, there's, there's something missing. There is something more that we would say, you know, I'm, there's, 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 there's got to be more to this than just what the computer has to offer me. What they said was, was going to last or what, what was going to be a longing and, and uh, beneficial to me is not. Sociologists tell us that there are three types of poverty. You know the first one, and that's material poverty. That's the obvious, broke, right, poor. Uh, don't have material things, the lack of uh, the essentials, a house, shelter, car, vehicle, stuff in your house. Like they will tell us that there's an actual poverty, material poverty. Some of us, yeah, we know that's us. We live in that, right? But there's also a spiritual poverty. They've actually identified there is a spiritual poverty, not so much, you know, the way we would describe it, that there's a God-shaped hole in your heart, but that there is, there's this longing for a creator. There's a longing for something higher. There's a longing for something more, that there's, there's something out there that there, there is this, that sociologists will say that there's an actual spiritual poverty. But then they identify a third one, which is relational poverty. There's actually a relational poverty. The, the, the lack or the disengagement uh, of being in a relationship with people of like-minded or being in a relationship with people at all. It's called relational poverty. And the reality is some of us in this room, like we're literally in poverty and we don't realize it. Like we're in relational poverty. We are, we are poor relationally and we can't even see it because we're, we try to distract ourselves with all these technologies and, and different uh, uh, schemes and stuff in our life. So tonight, that's what we're going to discuss. We're going to discuss this relational poverty. And we would say, man, something is missing. Something's not right. I would dare say, and some of you single guys are like, that's exactly what I've been praying for. Maybe it's not something. Maybe it's someone. Maybe there's someone. I'm going to put a lot writing on this message tonight that there is a person, there is a friendship, there is a type of friendship we're going to discover that could possibly be missing from your life that is preventing you from getting out of social, or excuse me, getting out of relational poverty. So I want, if you're taking notes, I want you to take, this is going to be a big thought tonight. You might be one friend away 
from changing the destiny of your life? One friend. You may say, I, I got lots of friends, but you may be one friend away from changing the trajectory of where you're going. And I'm going to back this up. In the book of Acts chapter 9, I'm going to prove to you that God loves to use the one friend. The one friend who has one job, right? This guy had one job and he does it, right? So we're going to hear from the book of Acts chapter 9, a guy that you're familiar with, two stories you're familiar with, two people. And it starts off by this in the book of Acts chapter 9, verse 26. When Saul, who we know as Paul, but he's not yet Paul yet because this is the beginning of his story. The guy was a terrible guy. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Why is that? Because Saul is the guy in Scripture that was killing. He was like the chief, you know, prosecutor, killer of Christians when it began to start in the early movement. And so they were a little afraid of Paul. Paul would show up, and Paul's trying to get with the disciples, and they'd be like, uh-uh, we, we don't trust you. Uh, you're, you're not coming to our life group. No way, Jose. Like, we don't know you. Like, we, we know of Saul. Who are you? And so here's what you're going to hear. Here's one of those butts in the Bible. That's actually a good butt. All right, here we go. In verse 27, but Barnabas, everybody say Barnabas. Barnabas. He doesn't have a circus. He's a real dude, right? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached what? Fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Paul is, excuse me, Barnabas is sticking his neck out for Saul. Barnabas puts it all in line and says, listen, I know you know that this dude is bad, right? But let me tell you his story and begins to share uh, what is going on. So here's what happens in verse 28. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem. What did he do? Speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And now we have the story of Paul and the reason why we even have half of the New Testament and that, that Paul wrote is because Barnabas said, hey, listen, I'm going to take a chance on this dude. Y'all are a little leery of him, but I'm going to put my neck out there because I've seen what God has done in his life. He testified on behalf of Saul. And now we have Saul hanging out with the disciples. And then, boom, the story of Paul shows up. Everything changes because Barnabas steps into his life and is a friend. And we know they have a great time in a jail cell one day, and, and the story starts right here. But Barnabas took him in. God used one friendship to rewrite Paul's history and allowed Paul to be a part of our Christian faith. We won't have half of the New Testament without Paul. Because Barnabas says, I'm going to invite him in. I'm going I'm to take one for the team. Paul is invited into the circle of the disciples. So tonight we're going to talk about this friendship, this one friend that, that maybe is your one friend away from totally changing your entire life. And I'm truly saying that this person could be in a life group, that could be serving in a ministry, they could be sitting next to you in the row and you've never even talked to them. But the reality is you could be one friend away. So there are three types of people that I want you to focus on tonight. Three types of friendships that, that I believe we need in our life. And if we don't have these friends in our life, if, you can, if you're going to say tonight, well, I only have one, but I don't have two, I don't, or I don't have any of them, then guess what? You're in relational poverty right now. These people are the essence of what it means to be out of relation. These people, these types of friends. And we're going to do this from a guy that I got to learn a lot about these last few weeks, King David. I got to stand in the city 
of David. It's there. It's real. It's super cool. Anyways, we're going to be talking about that in the next month, in the month of April. You're going to see a lot of cool pictures that we took while we were in Israel. But we're going to talk about King David. Now, I know you're like, oh, no, not that dude. Yeah, we know King David wasn't perfect, okay? We know he made some major mistakes. Matter of fact, he really only made like one major mistake. And he has a lot of positive things that we can't really count. He was that good of a dude. It's actually given to him credit, a man after God's own heart. What a cool guy. But what made David David? What, what, what created this David that we know of, that, that we fall in love with in Scripture, that God calls a man after his own heart? How do we get that David? Because David surrounded himself with three people. Three types of friends, three people represented in his life. We're talking about his first friend Samuel, his second friend Jonathan, and his third friend Nathan. We're going to discover that there are three types of individuals in our life that we've got to bring close to us to pull us out of relational poverty. Number one is Samuel, his first friend, right? This is a friend, if you're taking notes, who makes you better. Do you have a friend in your life that makes you better? That looks at you when everybody else sees you, right? Like, like that. Everybody else sees you. They see a king. They see a queen. They see someone with potential. Do you have someone in your life who when they look at you, they pull the best out of you? If you're saying, I don't know. I don't, I don't have that. Then you could be in relational poverty tonight. You could be missing out on something that God wants for you. Here it is. God rejected King Saul back in the story. So there's this king. His name Saul. The, the Israelites wanted the king, so they raised up King Saul. And he's an okay king, but he starts to get his eyes focused off of God and onto himself and on idols, and it was terrible. And so God says, I'm done with King Saul. We're going to find a new king. And God uses the prophet Samuel to find this new king. He tells Samuel, Samuel, you're going to go to the house of Jesse and you're going to find the new king. He's there. God deposits in this friend of David, Samuel, this prophet. That's the guy. He's going to be the one. So Samuel does what God he shows up at the house of Jesse and uh, Jesse, the proud father that he is, first shows off his, you know, son who's like six foot eight, big, you know, big burly guy. This obviously is king material. And Samuel goes, uh, nope. Next, <laughs> swipe whatever it is, left to right, which you know, all right, uh, or you shouldn't know. Anyway, so uh, he says, nope, not that one, next, nope, next, next, next. Wait a second, God, I know you told me to come here. And then he sees, uh, Jesse, you got any more kids? Like, you brought all your kids, is there anybody left? And this is how Jesse thought of David, like, oh yeah, the shepherd. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's out in the field, you want me to go get him? yes. So they go get David, and here comes David. The Bible says he was ruddy and small, and he comes, shows up, and Samuel instantly goes, he's the one. And, you know, Jesse's probably going, no, 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 did you miss this guy? You know, this first one, he's big and strong. And Samuel, this is what the Word of God says in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Talking about David. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on the spirit, excuse me, from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerful upon David. Can you imagine if you're Samuel, you're looking, you're going, this has got to be the God. He's big. He's awesome. He's hairy. Like that's a king, right? No, he's not the king. And then seeing, and then David shows him, you're like, okay, I got a choice here. I can go back to the big hairy tall guy who I think is king material. I can choose who God told me to choose. And God uh, excuse me, Samuel says, I'm going to be obedient and he's going to see David. And no one saw a king. Everyone saw a shepherd boy, but God used Samuel and Samuel said, I see a king. 
God says you're a king. I see a king. He could have said, uh, God, you made a mistake. Here's the other brother. The Bible says he goes right to David. This is the one. Do you have a friend in your life who has marked you, who, 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 who pulls the best out of you like Samuel does? Not a single person in David's family, not even his father, were like, it's David, David. It's obvious, it's David. Go get David. He should be the first one up here. He was the very last one, not even his family. Maybe you have some family members that go, yeah, I don't think you're going to amount to anything, right? But do you have a friend who looks at you and says, you know what? I don't care what everybody says about you. You're smart. You're talented. You're a Christ follower. You're a child of the Most High God. Do you have someone in your life who pulls the best out of you and not pushes the worst into you? Okay, we all know those friends. But do you have someone in your life who pulls and sees and makes you better? Think about it. Maybe not. Maybe that's what I'm lacking in my spiritual walk with the Lord. So I ask this question just right here in this moment. Who are your friends? Let's think about it for a second. Oh, you're, like, you're getting nervous now. Who are they? I'm not going to ask you to name them right now, okay? Uh, who are they? Did they accidentally come into your life? Was it an accident? I bumped into them in a place I shouldn't have been, and now all of a sudden we're friends, right? And uh, they kind of just been following me along since college, and I can't get rid of them, but they're now my friends. They've been my friends since middle school, and, you know, they just grow on me now. So was it an accident? Is this somebody you met at the office because you got a new job and you were lonely, so you connected with someone at the gym? Is it because your kids share on the same soccer team? Was it an accident? Do they make you better? Do an inventory really quick of people who are close. Some of you, this is going to be hard because you're like the Facebook people. You, you got a thousand friends, but you can't think of one name that's close to you. But think of a person. Is there, is there a person? And do they make you better? And better about the things that matter. Do they make you better about the things that are important? Do they look at you and say, you know what, you can, you can be better Christ follower. You know what, you could be a better husband. You know what, you could be a better this. You, you're better than that. You're better than that. Do you have a person in your life? Now, I'm going to be super sappy and cheesy tonight and tell you that all of these I find in my wife. And I mean that with all my heart. Like there's not a single person that I wouldn't rather do life with than, than Melissa. But for sure for this one. There, there are many times that I go, I'm so a shepherd and smell of poop right now. Like, and she will look at me and say, no, you're a king. God's called you here. And she reminds me of what it means to be better. Do you have someone in your life? I got to marry my best friend. But do you have someone in your life who looks at you and says, you, you're better than that. You can be better. You are better. The Bible says it this way. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron so a friend sharpens a friend do you have someone sharp makes you better challenges you and go wait didn't you tell me you were trying to do that whole fast thing and now i see you in a cheeseburger like come on we could we like they just they're there to just they speak into your life and they make you better so that was samuel he saw when nobody else saw you need someone in your life it doesn't have to be someone your age. It could be someone twice your age. It could be an older person. It could be a younger person who just looks at you and says, I see hope in you. I'm thankful for the seniors that come and listen to us every Wednesday night. I'm just amazed that you still come back uh, because we're just crazy. But you've been so faithful to my life. You look at me and you say, I, I believe in you, Pastor. I believe in your word. I believe in what. And you, just un- you don't understand. Hearing it from an older person just say, you're, you're doing a good job. Just make sure. You need to surround yourself with people who make you better. That's what Samuel was. But number two, Jonathan. You heard a little bit about him this month. Jonathan is a friend who helps you find spiritual strength. 
A lot of us have friends who pull the spiritual mess out of us, right? They drain us spiritually. They challenge us spiritually. But do you have someone in your life who, who strengthens you, who helps you find strength? So here's a story. David is anointed king, and Saul hates him now because now David is chasing his throne, and Saul, you know, it, it was said of Saul that he killed a thousand, but, 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 but they're saying of David, but he killed his tens of thousands. And so there's this jealousy thing going on with Saul. So Saul's like, I got to take this guy out. I got to kill David. And so he chases David, and David runs into the mountains, and, and, and we find this verse in the, New Test, uh, excuse me, in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 23. It says this, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Zip, he learned that Saul had come to take his life. Get this. And Saul's own son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. His own son, his own enemy's son came and said, you know what, listen, you're going to be all right. God is still the victor in your life. God is still on the throne. God is still in charge. You know what, because even the strongest of us Christians in this room, we have weak moments, don't we? We get tempted, don't we? We're not perfect. We, we, even us who are strong and been in church for thousands of years, all right, that's not even true, but even those who are strong, like we get discouraged, right? It's like, ah, preach a great message and three people fell asleep in the first row. You're like, ah, oh, you know, come on. So even, even we get discouraged. So even, even pastors get down, even, even strong believers, we get, we get down. And, and, but we, we got to have someone in our life who comes around us and says, you can do this. God is with you. God is not against you. God is for you. Do you have that in your life? Do you have someone who can look at you and say, I can, tell, I can tell you haven't been praying. I can tell that there's something going on in your spirit. I can tell, or, or you know, the person that you, you want in your life is the one that will, you know, we all have these people. I'll pray for you, right? I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. No, you want a person that when you say you're going through something, they're going to say, I'll pray with you. Let's go right now. Let's pray. You, you want to, let's believe that God is going to do something miraculous in your life right now. And they lock hands with you and they start to weep with you and they pray with you and they believe with you and they say, God's going to be the victor in this. And they encourage you. Do you have that? Some of you are like, man, I, I want that. Yeah, me too. It's because it's, that's how we're wired. It's what God desires for us. We need these people in my life again. There have been so many times as pastors that you walk out of this place and just feel defeated. You say, is that possible? Yeah, it is very possible. Where you walk out and just go, did, did, it, did, it even, did it even make a difference? And my wife will look at me and say, and she'll, she'll, turn, to, she'll turn to preach on me. She'll, look, she'll turn around and all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, here it comes. Do you know who you are? You're a child of the Most High God. Do you know what you, God has called you to be this? And she will just, she'll preach right at me and tell me, God has ordained you, God has anointed you. And I'll be like, hallelujah, let's go change the world, right? You, you, need, you need people in your life who surround you and who strengthen you spiritually, specifically spiritually. They don't drain you, but they encourage you and they lift you up spiritually. Do you have people to help you get better? Do you have people to help you find strength? That's what Samuel and Jonathan were to David. He had them in their life. And then the friend that we kind of like, and then we kind of don't, Nathan. So here's David's story. Here's his big oops. David was supposed to be at war and he wasn't. He decided to stay back and send his men off to war. And while he was out one day, kind of hanging out, enjoying the fresh air, looking around his city that he'd conquered and was building, 
He noticed Bathsheba was bathing. It's another man's wife bathing on the rooftop. You know, as a man, I'm like, she should have known better. She's a rooftop. Come on. But anyways, David saw, and he could have turned around, but what does he do? He gets engaged with this thing. This lust, this temptation lures him in, and he calls this man's, this wife's husband, sends him off to war. He dies. He marries Bathsheba. It's a whole mess. It's adultery. And Nathan is a prophet. Nathan's close to David, and Nathan goes up to David and starts to talk to David and tells him this crazy story. He's like, David, I got a story for you. David's like, great, let's hear it. He goes, there were these two men. One had lots of oxen, lots of sheep. I mean, was a wealthy man, had lots of oxen, lots of sheep. And there was another man, he only had one, and he was so close to it, he named it. It was like his pet, his pet sheep, right? And he loved this pet. He loved this sheep. A traveler came by. And so this king, this ruler said, hey, uh, instead of taking from the rich guy, he took from the one guy who had one sheep and slaughtered the sheep and fed it to the traveler. And David goes, what a jerk. That guy should be, yeah, you should take him and hang him by his toenail. I mean, just goes off. And Nathan looks at him in God's word and says this to him in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Ooh. And David knew exactly what he was talking about. And then he writes Psalm chapter 51. And if you've ever have a tiff between you and God and you're just trying to make it right, go take Psalm 51, David's repentive story to, to God and go read it as a prayer. It's a beautiful prayer of David saying, oh, I'm terrible. Gosh, forgive me. But he had a Nathan in his life. He had Nathan in his life. Nathan was the person who tells you the truth. I tell our students all the time when I was growing up as a youth pastor, I would say, you need to have a person in your life who, N-K-N-O-W, who knows you. I know you. I know what you like. I know what you don't like. I know your favorites. I know your least favorites, right? But then you need to have someone who knows you, N-O's you. K-N-O-W, knows you. I know you. And someone who says, no, don't go down that road. That's not going to lead to a a positive place. It's not going to lead to a place that God desires. That's not going to lead to a healthy lifestyle. That's not going to lead to a a life that pleases the Lord. No, you need someone, a friend who tells you the truth. And you like that friend when the truth is you're doing good, right? Oh, I love that friend. High five, come here. Hug, come over to my house. But when they start saying, you're the guy who killed the little sheep, you go, "I I don't want you in my life. Go get some other friends, right? Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says this, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Do you have people in your life who can tell you the truth? (laughs) And there's not a person in my life more truthful than my wife. You don't believe what you just preached? You don't practice that? You're right, babe. She is my truth detector in my life sometimes. You need some people around you who know you and who know you. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You could be one friend away. One friendship away. One friendship away. A Samuel that's missing because you're discouraged tonight, right? You're gonna, you know where you're going to find Samuel? Samuel was in the house of the Lord. He's not going to be at a bar. He's not going to be on social media. He's not going to be in a club. Samuel was a priest. He was in the house of the Lord. You're going to find the people that bring the best out of you. Guess where they're going to be? In the house of the Lord. 
There are going to be people who want the best for you, right? Or you, maybe you need a Jonathan, a friend to just come around you and say, listen, this is what's important. You're stronger than that. And just builds you up spiritually. Yeah, you know where they're at? They're not out sleeping with their best friend's wife. Okay? These people don't exist in the dark and the sinful places of our world. They, they exist in the house of the Lord. You need someone around you who's going to tell you the truth. You might be one friendship away from changing your destiny, one friendship away from a better marriage, one friendship away from someone speaking life into you and saying, you know what, hey, let, me, let, me, let me back up. Let's just, take a, let's just take an inventory of where we are really quickly before we leave tonight. Where I want you to be is, you know, I want to be, I want to be one friendship away from getting a good marriage, but where I... Can I be dramatic for a moment? <laughs> Y'all know I'm pretty dramatic. Can I, can I just... Let's go over here to the antithesis of a great marriage. Over here. Some of you, your current friendships are going to lead you to addiction you don't have yet. They're going to lead you to a divorce that you haven't experienced yet. They're going to lead you to a place of utter... Some of you, the reality is, if you don't change your friends, you're going to be spending nights in jail. Okay? Told you I was going to be dramatic, all right? Like, if you don't change... If you just... Some of you, if you stay in the same friendships, you're going to be in the same spiritual rut you are today. Because our friends help shape the direction and the quality of our life. So for some of us, we need to look at our friend list and go, really? Do these people make me better? Do they strengthen me spiritually? Do they tell me the truth? And if the answer is no, look to somebody on your road. Look to the left of you and look to the right of you and go, you know what? That friendship could be you. It could be us. It could be us in this room to one another. We could be the missing friendship in your life. You could be the missing component in someone's life. So the question is, how do we find these perfect people, right? How do we find these perfect friends? I got a real easy solution for you. Become them for others. And when you become that, guess what? The person behind you has someone to look to. And when you become that, she has someone to look at. When you become that, then he has someone to look to. When you become that, then the person next to you goes, I have friends. Now there are, when you become these kinds of friends who hold friends accountable, who tell friend the truth, who say, I haven't seen you in church in like three weeks, man, where you been? Like when you, when you become these kinds of friends, you become a magnet for these kinds of friends. Where do these people live? It's obvious what we're talking about this month. Some of you need to find this friend in a life group. You need to stop doing life by yourself because you're in poverty relationally. You don't have these kinds of friends in your life. Some of you need to do, find this in serving in a ministry. Music ministry is doing a great plug here this, tonight. You could find that one missing friend that catapults your life to a better marriage, to better finances. They're going to tell you, stop spending on that credit card, knucklehead. Like they're going to they're speak truth to you right? That friendship could be found in a ministry that could be found in kids ministry, student ministry, could be found in a life group, could be found, like I said, sitting on the road next to you, but you don't ever talk to them, so you don't know. Tonight, we're breaking the mold and we're ending this series of growing together with this idea that we need one another because we're better together. And those friends that I want to have in my life, I'm going to become those friends in my life. Amen. Hope that makes sense. Let's pray. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this challenge in my spirit to befriend and to become the friends that you desire for us. But God, I, I truly believe there are people in this room who are in poverty relationally. They don't have someone who looks them in the eye and says, you're better. They don't have someone in their life, Father, who challenges them to grow spiritually or encourages them. They're, they're literally out there on their own. And I pray tonight, by the power of the Holy Spirit, what you can only do, you draw them to one another. You draw us. You were, your prayer before you died on the cross, your prayer was that we would have unity, that we would be brought together, that, God, we would be these kinds of friends to one another. And I pray for that young adult or maybe even that senior citizen in the room tonight who has been literally dying on the inside of loneliness. That, God, they would challenge their own heart to be these kinds of friends and then you would draw people to them and pull them out of the relational reality that they're in, God, in Jesus' name. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I can't talk about friendship and say, you know what, there is a friend who the Word of God says sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who never will leave you and never abandon you, and his name is Jesus. And before we dismiss here, before we go our separate ways, I, I, I cannot help but say, maybe tonight the very friendship you're looking for is found in the most unusual place you thought, and that is in the person of Jesus tonight. He's here, and he wants to be a dear friend to you. He wants to be more than a friend. He wants to be a savior. The Bible says that we are broken and we have sin in our life and it separates us from God. But Jesus went to the cross, died, three days was buried, resurrected and became our saving grace. And it's only through Jesus that we find a relationship with God again. Our relationship, our friendship with God is fixed because of this. So tonight, as we're introducing people to friendship and talking about friendship, maybe you've never met the ultimate friend, the friend that sticks closer than a brother, the friend the Bible calls the friend of sinners. Jesus. Tonight I want to give you that opportunity. If you're here, if you're saying, you know what, that's me, that's why I came. Yes, I'm here because I want to meet Jesus. I want to find him as my friend, my Lord, my Savior, and I want to be introduced to him. If that's you tonight, would you ever so boldly just shoot your hand up and say, tonight, I want to meet Jesus. I want that friend in my life. I see your hand, ma'am. Your hand can put your hand down. I see your hand there. Anybody else? Anybody else? Say, you know what, it's me. I see your hand in this section over here. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Yes, 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 yes. Over here, I see your hand. Yes, yes, sir. I see your hand here close to the front. I see your hand in the back there. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Come on, church. We're going to say this prayer together to encourage those. We're going to be that spiritual friend that finds spiritual strength in each other. And I'm going to ask those that raise your hand, listen, if you're serious, the Bible says all it takes is a confession of the mouth and a belief of the heart and a repentance of the Holy uh, of the Spirit. And so we're going to do that. We're going to say this prayer together for those that were saying this prayer. Come on, would you repeat after me, church, together as an encouragement to those who raised your hand. Dear Heavenly Father, I recognize today that I have sin in my life and it separates me from you. But you sent Jesus to die on the cross and to take my payment of sin upon himself. And tonight, I accept the gift of salvation. I repent of my sins. I ask Jesus to be the leader and the savior of my heart. Jesus, I invite you to be my friend. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said,